Coming up, today's guest is the Chief Growth Officer at Lingvis, a language learning app. You'll discover how he's been able to grow the user base by 30x in a very crowded space, how he drove that growth by focusing on retention, and the impact that localization has made on the app. Stay tuned. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. See why Sony has increased their click-through rates by 5% and subscription by 10% since integrating Clever Tap. They've got analytics and engagement tools to really help grow your user base and subscribers. Check them out at clevertap.com. For just one low monthly price, you will discover our greatest growth hacks to driving massive downloads. You can learn more on appmastersacademy.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of appmasters.com, the place you go when you want action pot content actually packed content in the app business. I've got a tremendous, like a really great guest. We've already talked. I love this energy. I can't believe we're going to be talking to him all about retention, all about monetization for a very competitive app market. So without further ado, let me introduce the guest. His name is Scott Dodson. He is the chief growth officer at Lingvis. Go check out the app. It is Lingvis or check him out online at lingvis.com. All that is in the show notes. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Steve. It's awesome to be here. Scott, what's your like one minute type of like background? I was like, we just met at an event. Hey, Scott, what do you do? Like, kid, give me your backstory. I'm a, a chronic entrepreneur. Uh, did a lot of startups. Um, who is passionate, was passionate about engagement. Uh, so I was in the game space and was completely, uh, you know, just loved what, what was going on in that space for a long time. Um, and then now I've, I've applied some of that stuff to, uh, to learning, to the ed tech space. And I, I've spent most of my time in, frankly, in either the CEO seat or the product seat. Uh, growth is relatively new for me, but I think it's a real kind of natural extension. Um, I've been a marketer at heart, I think. Yeah. And then you guys talk about using like a lot of machine learning because it is a language learning app, but using a lot of machine learning, AI powered stuff. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, most people think about AI or machine learning and they think about kind of like a chat bot or something conversational, right. um, and especially in a language learning app and, and we use it a really different way. So the, the app was founded by uh, a guy named Mike Muntel, who, um, literally was on the team that discovered the Higgs boson particle at CERN. Uh, and, and these guys have been using machine learning, uh, at CERN for, longer than it's been in the the lexicon you know i i was a mentor at techstars when i met this company in london and uh and i had never i mean it's, it sounds crazy but i had never heard the word machine learning i'd heard ai because there was a movie and stuff like that but i mean it's some of these one of these terms that you know you think oh come on you know but but if you actually scroll back a few years you realize that it, it, you know these things just become completely pervasive like overnight and so they were using machine learning to find this particle and and we use it essentially to, to unlock how the brain retains information. Um, there was this guy way back in the 1800s who, who developed this, this model of the way you learn new information. And it, it 
basically involves repeating things. They call it spaced repetition. So the idea is if I give you a brand new piece of information you've never heard before, and I ask you right away what it was, you'll be able to recall that like 100% of the time. But if I wait, say, 20 minutes, your, your recall rate, you're like, oh, yeah, well, wait, well, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Maybe it's 80%. And then you wait like two hours or two days, and it's gone. You know? and, but if you repeat it at just the right frequencies, you, know, you, can, you can basically lock that into your long-term memory. And so we've basically spent the entire time trying to figure out how to make the optimum um, repeat algorithm. So since the beginning of the app, we've stored every single answer to every single question that every single person does and, and, and use that data to train an algorithm to get smarter and smarter over time. I know you first joined as the chief product officer in 2015, but the product team became the chief growth officer in 2017. And in three years alone, you've grown the user base to 30 X. Like that's amazing. So, and now it's a, you know, premium subscription base. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but like, what did you focus on when you first came on? Retention. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a great graph out there. You just look up kind of stacked retention graph, but the, but the concept is, is that if, if your retention for some portion of your user base doesn't become flat, doesn't essentially become a, a you know, a, a perpetual retention, if it eventually trends to zero, then you can acquire as many users as you, as you want to. And in every new cohort, but, but eventually the shape of that curve is going to flatten out. And, and in order to, to have consistent growth over time, you, you need, to kind of see your retention curve flatten out um, for at least some some percentage of your users, you've got to got to hit a, a value loop with with essentially some portion of your users. Otherwise, you can't stack, you can't build any long term growth. I know I'm going to link this up into the show notes. So if anybody out there wants to watch it, but Scott did a great presentation at the growth conference at the MAU. I'm going to try to attend 2019, but. Essentially, you did this without like any push notifications, any type of like real marketing type of stuff. So what did you really focus on, Scott? Yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. Um, so it was – and we're still not – you know, it's, it's kind of a – it's always a practice, not a, you never kind of achieve your destination, right? It's a journey. So, so we're, we're still, I think, trying to figure out what is the core value loop for our product. Uh, for us, we, we have a, a pretty good hypothesis where we seem to, to kind of have a lot of correlation with this kind of flat retention curve is, is for us, it's basically somebody comes into the app and they, they, they clear their repeat stack. So overnight, they've accumulated a bunch of these words that now they have to repeat, kind of that, that they really should have re repeated while they were sleeping, but that's not going to happen. So, so the people that come in and actually clear that repeat stack um, and then kind of learn a few new words and then go away again essentially create this kind of loop, this value loop where every single day they come back in and they do their repeat stack and they learn a few new words and they do their repeat stack and they come in and learn a few new words. And, and this is actually what, what our measure of how people get value out of the app. We actually use learning as our core metric, which is, um, which is really a tricky thing to do. Most, most people really can't, you can't, it's very hard to measure learning, but, but again, we've got a bunch of you know, really quanti data scientists, external people, et cetera, who, who have figured out a way to kind of over time measure people's learning. So, so we find that the people that, that get most reliable learning essentially do this behavior. They come in, they, they clear the repeat stack. So I, I mean, you know, my advice to other app, app manufacturers, you know, publishers is, is see if you can figure out where are people getting value in your app. Um, you know, gamers already kind of know this. Game manufacturers often know this. They, you know, they call it a, a, a core core game loop or, or, you know, it's essentially what's, what's the core mechanic that actually kind of 
drives people to come back again and again and again. But, you know, I think for people that are making utility apps, you have to kind of find what exactly are people getting value out of and then, and then start to build a user journey around that experience. How did you figure out that was the main value? Um, you know, the, the epiphany that I had was, uh, we got discovered by a school, um, by a teacher, well, actually by a student who then gave it to his teacher. And, and then it spread to this whole school. And it was kind of that classic thing of, you know, when you, you suddenly don't really expect it, but you find this, this kind of product market fit somewhere where you didn't expect. So we never intended this to be used in schools. It's always seen as a consumer app. Um, but, but basically I interviewed these students. I interviewed, I don't know how many students. And I kind of asked them, what's your favorite thing about the app and what's their least favorite. And, and most of them had the same answer for both. They were like, their favorite thing about it was the repeat stack and their least favorite thing about it was the repeat stack. Because on the one hand, you kind of, you feel like you're not really doing anything when you're repeating things. It's like, it's kind of boring, etc. But on the other hand, those that, that, that had, had gotten a lot out of it, they had, you know, been consistently using the product for a number of months realize that that's where the learning was happened, right? They, they could feel that that's where they were getting value out of the product. And, and, and so they knew that that's actually that was actually the best thing about it. Um, and that's where it really kind of the light went on for me. It was like, wow, this is actually, you know, something that we've always looked at as kind of a, a necessary evil is actually the, the source of the value. So specifically, what did you do to get, make sure that people went through the repeat stack, whether it was sooner or more often? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and this is, this is the other thing that for people that have worked a long time in the app space, you know, are going to kind of laugh with me on this is, you know, just because you kind of know something doesn't mean the experiments you start to run around it are going to be successful. And a lot of times the kind of the first initial, like, you know, just like finger in the wind, like, let's try this is hard to beat, you know, like you can't, you, you start to try and come up with, with ways to improve your metrics and, and it's, it's tenacious. I mean, you know, Mike's first algorithm that he built in CERN to teach himself French. And he, he just, he basically just built this himself a tool to teach himself French because he was frustrated because he was in the middle of Switzerland and everybody spoke French and he, he couldn't. And he, he went into physics because he was crap at languages, right? This is the greatest part. He, he was like horrible at learning languages. So, so he basically went, okay, I'm going to go to physics. And he became this awesome physicist. And then, then he had stuck in this other foreign country where he had to speak French. And uh, so, you know, it took us, a long time, um, a long time, like two years, I think, to actually beat that algorithm reliably, even though we learned so much about how people learn and so on and so forth. There was just something about, you know, sometimes that first kind of like, you know, that first kind of design is ends up being really, 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 really prominent. So I, I wish I could, you know, I also kind of I'm at the at the a little bit of the boundaries of kind of where where what I can talk about comfortably, but but I would say I will say the things that work are you know we have this idea in our head we have all these features that we've built and we've invested development time in, and and I think the human tendency is to try and make sure that people know about all those features or you know you look at the data and you see what people features are using and you kind of go to that and it's like I think the tenant you know. My my the lesson I've taken from this is is really less is more right if you can um, and you can see it in the design of the app it's really clean it's very it doesn't really kind of hit you with a bunch of stuff we don't use any push notifications and those types of things in app messages we try and clear all that stuff away and kind of just leave the core experience and 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 try and focus on 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 that value loop. Now, I know it's a very crowded market, and even in your presentation, you kind of highlighted some of your competitors, and I was like, wow, this guy's great. I love people who are like just like freely talk about like, hey, we know what we're dealing up with. You're the big giants in the room. Like, how did you start gaining traction? Because you've grown it so much. Yeah, well, thanks. I, I mean, the, 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 the key, 
um, for that, I think, is also understanding who we're for. You know, um, again, everybody wants to be for everybody. Um, and and it, it, this also took a little while because the CEO, you know, he thought, well, I'm terrible at languages and I made this tool and it worked brilliantly for me. So this is going to be great for anybody, even if you don't know a language or whatnot. But the reality is, is, you know, our users are are actually a bit of a special breed. We, we have... And a lot of people look at, okay, are you a beginner learner or an advanced learner, intermediate? And that's relevant. But actually for us, we have a, a different scale. We have a motivational scale. So so basically how motivated are you? You know, And there's the people like – okay, there's people who are not motivated at all to learn a language. Probably most of your audience. You know, in America, I didn't have a whole lot of motivation <laughs> to learn a language, right? Yeah. And then there's kind of the next <laughs> step up, which is kind of the people who like – they want to do something with their brain. you know. But it could just as easily be Sudoku or like you know, words with friends or, or whatever, right? Just, just something that you feel like you're, you're doing something more than just playing some mindless game or watching, watching Netflix or whatever, right? And, and then kind of the next stage is you know what hey i've i've i booked tickets to barcelona i'm going next spring i'd love to learn a little bit of language it'd be cool to be able to order some beers and some tapas or whatever right and that's kind of the next level of motivation you know and you keep going up the scale and, and where we start to define really our, our core users are like people that live in like ukraine or china china is a huge market for us taiwan like these are people for whom knowing english makes a significant difference in their lives, right? Like this is this is the difference of, of increased salary potentially or opportunities to travel or all kinds of stuff, right? Um, and so, you know, what we've really decided to do is is kind of seed the, that early part of the market to some of our competitors. You know, we're never going to be as big as Duolingo. Um, and, and, and if we sat there and tried to reach those people who, you know, and no offense to Duolingo, it's an awesome product. And people that are just starting learning a language and aren't that serious about it, I'm like, Duolingo is an awesome app. You should use it, you know. And and if and if you find yourself still using it in two months, come check out Lingvist, right? I mean, because that's 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 really you know it proves you've got the motivation and you want to kind of take it to the next level. So how did you go about, let's say, to China market? Because I know you you kind of said that in your presentation as well. Was it just like localizing the app? Was it using Facebook targeting people in China? Like, what did you do? What did you do tactically? So for us. Uh, partners has been a huge thing. And, and this is, you know, it, it's, um, it's a tricky one because, uh, you know, when I mentor startups, um, partners are very dangerous, right? Like <laughs> you want them, but, but the thing is, is that you're just dwarfed by, by the size of most partners and they move at a, at a pace that startups and individual, you know, independent publishers really can't afford to move at that pace that these partners do. However, if you can find the right partners, um, it can be extremely, and you're willing to make kind of, you're willing to see it as a long-term investment. It can be really great. So, so we, you know, got very fortunate at, at, at early stage uh, to get introduced to to Rakuten, and the and the head of uh, the kind of CEO of Rakuten actually became a big fan of the app, um, Mikatani. He's kind of a you know an icon, and 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 this. This proved enough of an in just that he liked the app and he liked the idea that 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 we ended up kind of, you know, getting together with them. They became an investor, et cetera. Um, likewise, we did a we did a deal with a similar company to Rocketon in a way that that's out of Taiwan called PC Home. Um, and and we had the advantage, you know, there of having a little bit of a of a kind of a 
riding on the coattails of Skype, if you will. They, they did a partnership with Skype um, and it was very, very successful. And so they kind of, you know, we're also from Estonia and uh, Skype's from Estonia, um, you know, and, and so they, they, they kind of gave us the benefit of the doubt and just started to work with us. And, and it, it is a very long-term investment, um, but, but these things are incredibly worthwhile when they, when they pay out. Um, and we've seen some of our, you know, our biggest spike ever came from people essentially from the, the app hopping over the, the straight there and being discovered in China and some WeChat kind of reviewers, you know, reviewing it. Um, we've just seen some of the best months we've ever seen based on Japan, which has kind of been a sleeping giant in some ways, but then suddenly, you know, somebody writes a book about us and, and bam. So, um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how actionable that is for the audience, but but I think if you can identify the right partner and are willing to kind of, you know, maybe not invest all your eggs in that basket, but but invest some eggs and be willing to give up a piece of that market. I mean, we do rev share deals that are very generous to our partners because we figure, hey, you know, a piece of nothing, a piece of something is better than a than nothing of nothing, right? Yeah, I think that's the hardest hurdle that people need to get over when you hear partners, because I think you know leveraging relationships, talking to them nicely like humans and not always trying to get that ask first right immediate. Those are obvious ones. And I think it's the, what you said, Scott was just like, Hey, something of a bigger pie is better than nothing like, or everything of nothing. And so I think that's the biggest hurdle from what I hear from developers. They just can't get, let it go. Cause it's their babies. Like, no, I mean, I want to keep most of it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really true. And you just have to, you have to be straight about what you, you have to know what you don't know. I mean, these markets are nothing like the U.S. or Europe. You know, I mean, they're they're just they're a completely different animal. And if you think that you're going to go in there and, you know, just be a hit, I mean, it's you know, you're, you're going to be in for a a bit of a surprise. I think. And I'm looking at your guys' charts right now from a revenue and a user standpoint. It is just like so diverse because a lot of the apps I look at, you know, it's like U.S., huge pie, and then like everything else is just a little small. But you guys have just so many colors, so many different countries. What's one thing that you learned, Scott, from targeting China, Japan, more of these Asian markets that you're like, whoa, I didn't expect this, but this is what happens in those markets? Yeah, and again, we're we're figuring this stuff out as we go. Um, but but I think that is the interesting thing. I mean, I'm obviously you know I'm an American. I I, I grew up outside of New York, lived 22 years in Seattle. Uh, didn't really expect to find myself in another part of the world. Um, ended up in London uh, for a couple of years. Met these guys, and now I'm all the way out in this tiny little country called Estonia. But um, being, I think, part of a you know, what's great about Estonia is that when you're a tiny country, I mean, these guys. Th- they think they have to think global from day one. Um, and, and that's a really different mindset that's very helpful, right? Because you just, you know, you, you kind of, um, again, it's like they're, they're, they're smart enough to know what they don't know and, and kind of ask questions and, and you know, be, be, be willing and to be responsive to, to other, other people's cultures, other people's, you know, ways of going to market and, and so on and so forth. And so I think some of the things that we're, you know, we're, we're just starting to get into, we've, we've been running some experiments over the last like quarter and we're going to go in, in big earnest this time is actually doing different pricing. Um, so, you know, I think uh, we had an attitude, which I think is a good one, which says, hey, look, even though we may not have as many features as some other people, we're going to set the price high, right? We're going to kind of set a high anchor price in people's minds that says, look, we've invested into the kind of the actual learning, the core learning like nobody else has. We're going to charge a premium for that. Um, and I think we still want to have that mentality. But, you know, what's high in the U.S. or Western Europe is like on another planet in 
Kazakhstan or, you know, or, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so, and so again, it's kind of that idea of, you know, a piece of something is, is better than, than nothing. Right. And, and, you know, when you can't charge a month's salary for, for, for an app, you know, and, uh, and so, um, you know, and at the same time, we're all about learning. We actually, it's valuable to us to have people learning on the app because that's more learning data. It makes the algorithms better, you know? So, so honestly, the biggest challenge for us as we've started to, this is more now I've shifted the question from from, from maybe globalization to monetization. Um, but the challenge for us is, is kind of where to draw the line around, uh, what's it, what's, what's, you know, where's the paywall essentially. Um, we don't have the luxury, like there's a, there's another big, big company that's very big in the space called Babbel and, and they're one of the most successfully monetizing companies and they do it with a very hard paywall. So you get a, a chance, you get to try out the app and then boom, right? You hit that wall and you're either going to be a paid customer or you're not going to be a customer. And, and this doesn't work for us because we need people learning. And so, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, and we still haven't figured it out is exactly where to, where to kind of put that line. Like, you know, you obviously want to create, I don't know. I, maybe I, I, this is too much, too long of a ramble. Maybe should we, should we break it with another monetization question or should I keep rolling? No, I mean, I, I would, I love the, the monetization. That's exactly where I was going to take it. So if it's still okay. in line with it, I'd love to talk yeah. more about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, you know, the, the, uh, oh God, now I, now I shouldn't have derailed myself. I totally lost my train of thought now, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess, I guess where it's going is, oh yeah. So, so, um, we, we, we have to decide, uh, God, no, I completely lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. We may have to. <laughs> I, it's okay. No, I, I'll take you where it was. I'm a good okay, listener. Cool. That's what this podcast has awesome. taught me. But anytime my wife complains, like. You're not listening, like lady, honey, not like, I don't call her lady. <laughs> like, honey, I do this for a living. Okay. I listen to people. So you're talking about like going into these countries and babble and they're oh, the yeah. best monetizing, trying to figure out like when the right part to put the paywall in. Yeah, exactly. Cause, cause we, we need to keep people learning, right? We need to find people learning. And, uh, and, and we've had the luxury, I'd say, you know, because we've been, I think people have been willing to to bet on us, right? Um, uh, you know, VCs and Rocketen and others of having a, a decent kind of runway, never having to worry about kind of our, our existence. But at the same time, you know, when you start to get to the point where you need to raise kind of a growth round or B round, um, you do need to show some metrics. The investor wants to know that, you know, that for sure the user's getting value out of this. And and growth metrics are nice, but but in the back of their head, they really want to, you know, they want to see that monetization, all right, ultimately. And uh, and so, you know, what we have to kind of figure out is, is where to put that line. So basically, people monetize it's a very simple equation, right? It's, it's perceived value on one side of the scale. So how much value do they perceive? Not necessarily how much value is in the app or, or getting, but how much they perceive. And then the other side, it's, it's two pieces. It's perceived price. So how expensive does it seem? And then it's friction, right? How much friction do you have in the, in the, in the, in the experience, right? So if you can, it, 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 and you can adjust any of those three parameters. I mean, certainly if you can increase the, the perceived value, that's the best, but that's, it's usually the hardest to do, right? It's, it's, it takes, you know, maybe some really cool new feature or, you know, et cetera. Um, the, the perceived price is things that, that we've actually done already. So again, we set this high anchor price with our, um, our kind of monthly price, which is, you know, it's like 24 bucks a month or whatever. It's, it's fairly high monthly price, but then we discount it heavily. So you can get three months for basically twice that price or you can get 12 months for four times that price, right? So you can get, you know, 
12 months for basically under 100 bucks, like 90 bucks, uh, or you can get you know a month for 24 bucks. But if you've anchored on that 24 $4 price, then all of a sudden 89 bucks for a year seems like a pretty good deal. And this is also advice that we got from Google. Um, they were w- willing to share some data with us that says, look, you know, our education apps, um, especially languages, we see that people are actually willing to kind of make a commitment. Most of the serious learners that are willing to plunk down money know that they're not going to learn a language in a month, you know. And so if you actually skew towards that pricing, and that's been working out very well for us. So the vast majority of our of our subscribers actually just buy for a year, right? That's we awesome. just get that commitment right out of the gate. So that's helped a lot. Um, so we've kind of used some tricks like that. So that's, that's you know, what I would put in the kind of perceived price category, right? We've manipulated perceived price for the user in a, in a, in a positive way uh, for us and for them, I think, too, because, you know, you want to make a commitment. Um, the, the, the challenge for us is, is kind of still, you know, how much pain do we put in for the free user? Where do we, where do we find that line where we, we still retain people? We want them to get value out of the product. Um, but, but the, the really active users, you know, do go, Oof, boy, I keep hitting that. I keep brushing up against that, that paywall. I should just subscribe. And this is where we're still trying to figure out. Um, but, but we're making some good headway. No, I love that. And I've always done the perceived value as like the higher price is the anchor, right? That the highest price is usually the anchor. But I love that you said you went backwards and you said, look, because I'm looking at the pricing, it's like $22, $23 just for the month, but it's like $90. And then you can sort of lay it out. And from a design perspective, it's like, you know, like exactly. 50% off just by signing up for the year. And it's like, okay. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like perceived value is so much more controllable. Because I feel like, and it's probably of the three that you mentioned, probably the most important because I have studies that I've done past startups that I've been a part of where I did a trick and I have stats that show like 277% increase in conversions just by putting some perceived value in place. And it wasn't awesome. so much about the the price. And I always say this, it's not about the price. It's not about the amount of money we're paying. It's about the perceived value. And if you can show that early and make it really visually appealing, you'll get an increasing conversion. And this is the other thing that we need to do more work on, right? Is that, you know, because of this, we we have so we have massive users, but you know, relatively small numbers of subscribers, right? I mean, we're you know, we think we're scratching the well, anyway, probably can't share that one, but but you know, <laughs> but we, we we have enough, we have enough finally that we 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 can talk to them, and and you know, and I think we, I'm a huge fan, although you know, even though we've been kind of doing it ad hoc, there's some real professional outfits out there that that do this really really well and do it as a service, um, but but I'm a big fan of this uh, Max Diff and Van. Western Dorp um, model. So there's basically a, you know, you, you can kind of figure out what are the most valuable features or, or qualities of your product based on a particular persona. So, you know, for, for like, for instance, one of our, you know, one we do well, for example, with expats. So these are, we actually sell more subscriptions in Germany to English speakers learning German than German speakers learning English, if that makes any yes. sense. So, you know, which is, which, which you go, well, of course, as a native English speaker, well, of course I want to learn German, but, but if, you know, you can, you have to think the other way around the, the, the market in the world for learning languages is actually learning English. That's the number one market. Right. Um, so, so, you know, English's source is kind of down, down the list. Um, so anyway, um, so an expat, you know, you kind of go, okay, well, if I'm an expat, what are the things that are the most important to me? That might be different from say, I don't know, a student, you know, who's learning, learning for some other purpose. Uh, and, and then you, you kind of figure out how to then present those, like you're saying, how do you increase the perceived value? How do you present those features kind of upfront so that somebody goes, oh yeah, this is a marriage for, for my needs. And, and I'm more likely to convert. I know some of your competitors, I saw this as a screenshot. I actually use this as an example of something. I like the messaging that they had in there, but they had ads in between the different lessons. Have you guys considered using any type of ads too? Yeah. Again, you know, 
we we hope we don't have to go there. Um, our designers are, uh, you know, the Lingvis has a very very kind of different attitude. Um, it's it's, you know, it's, it's ironic because I come from a game background, but we're like the least gamified language learning app. You know, it's it, we really try and go. Hey, it's it's really about a clean, almost zen like experience. You know, you, a lot of white space, and and so we think that ads, you know, would would really take away from that user experience. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'm not going to say that it, it's, it's impossible. We think, you know, we, we get closer and closer to kind of um, doing more and more, getting more and more effective paid acquisition channels, you know, essentially paid loops that, that pay higher, higher, uh, L, higher LTV than, than CAC, right. Than, than customer acquisition cost. Um, but you know, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, but I'd love to love to avoid it. I think it would. You know, I actually really like the fact that Lingvis is ad free. Oh, I like that. Well, I mean, the the example that I brought up was like they said in the apps, like, "Hey, to keep this app free for you, we're gonna show you this real quick," and they made that blatant. And I was like, "Oh, I like that." Yeah, that's genius. And I actually really think the other thing I respect. I mean, one of our competitors does this too, and I think it's I think it's really smart. And I, I I've actually kind of maybe maybe you know it's something that occurred to me a long time ago i may want to steal it steal it from them too but is just the idea that you, you know because it's really true you know for us 95 percent of our user base is free right yeah. um so the people that pay are helping people all over the world learn languages you know and that's pretty cool like you know and and, and i think that actually is a motivation for a lot of people i mean if you know if 90 bucks isn't going to kill you you know a, a 750 a month you know, if you can afford that, if you're in a country that can afford that or you're making a decent salary, then, you know, hey, why not get a little extra kind of, you know, feel good bonus out of that, that you're you're helping people, you know, who are in the Ukraine, who, who are, you know, really being able to change their lives out of this. You know, it's it's, uh, it's very cool. I love that. Well, Scott, anything you want to cover bef- before we hit the big finish that I might have missed? No, I no, I I really uh, appreciate the time. It's it's, yeah. it's it's great. It's very enlightening conversation for me as well. So before we hit the big finish, I do want to thank my sponsor, CleverTap.com. They are the look. Scott talked a lot about it. Retention, retention. He focused so much on it. And if you need a tool to help you really bring your users back. Their tagline is retain your users for life. They're going to give you all the different tools that you need to really analyze your users and then send the marketing campaigns that you need to do to get them back, whether it's push notifications, whether it's email, triggered emails. And the best thing that I've heard from our users and from them as well is they've got a way to really ping like these ghost push notifications. So they know when a user has deleted your app. So then you can do a marketing campaign, email marketing campaign that says, hey, we noticed that you stopped using the app. We'd love to figure out why and why, what, what can we can do to bring you better? Especially if you've targeted them and you figured out that, hey, they are an expat, just like Lingvis. Maybe they're a student. So you know what type of messaging that you can say to them to bring them back into the app. That's what CleverTap allows you to do. If you want to check it out, check them out. It is clevertap.com. Let them know you heard it on this very podcast. When you're scheduled that demo, let them know you heard it on the App Masters podcast. It is once again, clevertap.com. Scott, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. What is one app? We definitely have to check out. Uh, my answer to that is, is Hearthstone. Uh, so I don't know if any gamers in the audience, um, but I, I have a, I have a huge respect for this, this app. I was a 
I was a pro tour magic player. So, you know, I was a super hardcore nerd. I traveled around the world playing, you know, competitive professional magic, the gathering. Um, and Hearthstone's amazing because it's kind of like a, you know, it's a simplified version of magic. There's a little more luck, it's a little more fun. Uh, and you can play a game in 10 minutes, you know, which is pretty much what I do at every 10 minutes I have to spare. But the thing that actually impresses me perhaps more than anything is that their monetization strategy, right? And their, their strategy overall. Um, you could literally, you can literally play Hearthstone and not spend a dime. They, they have the lightest monetization strategy. If you're used to mobile games that kind of try and, you know, hit you up all the time, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic way. I think of, of kind of taking the high road, providing value, and then being as a result one of the top-grossing apps that are on the App Store. So anyway. If you're a gamer, if you like trading card games, or if you just want to check out how you can do, you know, value-based gaming uh, that leads to great monetization, check out Hearthstone. Like and they did not pay me for this endorsement. <laughs> hey, Scott, <laughs> one thing I did want to ask you that I didn't ask you during the actual interview part was the localization aspect of it. I mean, I noticed that, you know, when I looked at the China market on the app store, that it was localized, the screenshots were localized. How impactful was that for you guys? Was that worthwhile? It, it, it's absolutely critical. Um, and, you know, and don't, don't try and half-ass it, um, because, you know, you know how bad it is when you see an app that's obviously localized in English uh -huh. and, and, and your perception of that, of the quality of that app just drops to nothing, right? You just go, okay, this is going to be garbage, you know? And, and so, so don't half-ass it. And this is actually one of the things that we realize about, actually, it's another good, good point is, you know, don't try and like you know, don't, don't, you got to eat, eat, eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? You know, don't, don't, don't try and kind of be in every country at the same time. Like pick, pick your battles and, and, and really try and nail it one at a time. Because, you know, it's one of the reasons that we, we, our biggest complaint from users is like, Hey, why don't you have, you know, Italian or Swedish or Vietnamese or, you know, whatever. And, and it's like, we've realized that every single language is another mouth to feed. And so you got to just, you got to take it, you got to take it slow, go after the big market and, and do it well. Is that how you decided? Like, hey, this is a big market. China, Japan—they're huge markets. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And for both of those, we, you know, we're, we're it's it's we realize that in both of those countries, English is like by far the the major language they want to learn. I mean, there's other languages, but but that makes it very easy, you know. So for like Russia, Ukraine, uh, a lot of the Russian-speaking countries, for China, for Japan, for Taiwan, it, it's really you know English as target, if you will, is 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 the same. And so so that's what kind of have us had us chose those. Is those are those are huge kind of of language pairs in the world. I love it. And what's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? The longest to learn. Uh, uh, well, personally, I guess that, that, that I don't have all the answers and that my, uh, <laughs> my first, my first hypothesis is not always the right one. <laughs> Maybe another way to put that is that, you know, even if you're a, a, a passionate power user, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are the the user with a capital U, right? Like, you know, there, there are lots of different people that use your app and, and you gotta, gotta talk to them. I love it. Well, the app is called Lingvis, L-I-N-G-V-I-S-T, Lingvis, search for it in the app store, or just go to lingvis.com. All that is in, in the show notes as well. And it's Scott, if the users or listeners want user, listeners want to follow up with you personally, you want to send them anywhere else? Uh, sure. I mean, you can, you can reach out to me at, uh, you know, Scott at lingvis.io. Um, or, uh, you know, the usual social channels. I'm not too hard to find. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott, for coming on. I got so much out of this. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you, Steve. It's an awesome show. Keep it up. Thanks, man. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. 
Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.